Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest boxcasting either side of the breach. On today's programme, we have the conclusion of post-mortem. In part one, Governor-General Marlowe hired the Domadores de Cadaveres to eradicate the grave spirit from Malifaux once and for all, thereby robbing the resurrectionists of their power over the dead. But Nicodem, McMorning and Seamus have devised a plan of their own to stop the guild. I hope you enjoy the conclusion of Postmortem, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breach Sub Broadcast is brought to you by the Domadores the Cadaveres. When you need a true artist of death who moves to the rhythm of corpses and keeps time with the vilest necromancers, contact the Domadores de Cadaveres. Our troupe will banish the shambling zombies from the dance floor with dazzling displays of artistry. later, Lady Justice and a contingent of death marshals waited as the Iron Ram arrived from Earth. She stood by as the station's employees busied themselves with moving convict labour and cargo from the armoured train and into their respective sorting areas. There's less and less from Earth every month, the station manager told her. Things are getting worse Earth side, Justice informed him. After the attack on London, every nation from Abyssinia to Vietnam is girding itself. No doubt they're pardoning criminals in exchange for military service. Yeah. The man glanced at her briefly before looking back to the train. There are rumours that Russia started pulling its diplomats back from the embassies, and that the King's Empire and Abyssinia aren't just fighting monsters and cultists. Rumours are they're starting to expand their borders. Another glance at justice. Think it's going to end up in another big war, like the Black Powder. We were children fighting over scraps then, Justice said, frowning at the thought. Technology has advanced a hundred years, and there are a hundred times as many soul stones back on Earth. If war does break out, it'll make the Black Powder Wars look like a Chinese firecracker. She caught sight of the Domadores de Cadavares disembarking from the train. Excuse me. The necromancers were not what Justice had expected. Most of the resurrectionists she'd encountered were half-mad lunatics howling at the moon, or old men in robes who spoke of death with creepily familiar affection. The Spanish necromancers, however, moved with the vibrancy of a dancing troupe, and they were dressed for the same. The men wore colourful tights and vests, the women flowing dresses. Their mannerisms exuded a kind of lively energy that immediately put justice on edge. Caprisa! The leader of the troupe was an older man with a sharply cut goatee. His accent was heavy, similar in some ways to Pedita's, but different enough that she could never mistake them for being kin. I was told to be on the lookout for a woman dressed as Justice herself. I take it you are Dama de Justicia. I am Lady Justice, she replied, offering him her hand. Federico Hoja, 
It is an honour. He took her hand but stopped short of actually kissing it. Ah, this is the hand that has delivered death. We have heard of you back home, Lady Justice. Nothing unflattering, I assure you. But words of your strength and beauty, if you forgive my choice of words, do not do you justice. She tried to ignore the flush she felt in her cheeks. If you'll follow me, we have prepared temporary quarters for you in the Enclave. The escort is waiting just outside the station. The waiting had not been easy on Douglas McMorning. The problem, he decided, was a multi-headed hydra of professional inconvenience. The plan they had concocted was one problem. It was an ugly, desperate thing, confined by its reckless urgency. The other issue was deadlines. He wasn't accustomed to deadlines. The joy of working with corpses was that they didn't rush him. He could work at his own pace and take each cadaver as it arrived on his table without having to worry about things such as schedules. He could get lost in his thoughts as he opened a body up, and more than once he had returned from his thoughts to find that the corpse had rotted away in his mental absence. Sometimes there was even a different corpse entirely beneath his knife. Once he'd stopped paying attention and nearly dissected Sebastian. McMorning hunched forward, narrowed his eyes and looked suspiciously around the room in search of his assistant. He wasn't anywhere in sight, but just to be sure, he checked under the table and behind the autoclave. He had begun to suspect that Sebastian was actually two people, and that they were playing an elaborate trick on him. Fortunately, he had gotten wise to their ruse. Now that he knew what they were planning, he had made certain that they wouldn't find his notes. He had hidden them on top of the chemical shelf, far out of reach of Sebastian, or even two Sebastians standing on each other's heads. He frowned as he looked down at the corpse in front of him. One of the voices murmured in his ear, reminding him of his task and drawing an Aha! from the doctor. Steadying his hand, he carefully cut into the corpse's abdomen and pulled the knife upwards. The dead might not care if the doctor didn't perform his Y incision cleanly, but shoddy workmanship was something he couldn't abide. If he didn't make all of his cuts just so, someone in the guild would surely notice. Surely they were watching him. Surely they knew his whole plan and were waiting to spring the trap. McMorning's head snapped up, eyes wide as they darted all around the room. They narrowed as he noticed a suspicious-looking chair. Had it been there before? He thought not. It wasn't the same shade of wood as most chairs he had seen. And in any case, why would a chair be in the morgue? He never sat down while working. Or ever, one of the voices reminded him. It must be part of the trap, perhaps a disguised guardsman. He waggled his scalpel at the chair. Not today, my friend. Exhaling slowly, McMorning turned his attention back to the corpse. He couldn't let the chair know that anything was amiss. It was a challenge, nothing more. What was life without challenges? He forced himself into a routine of maximum efficiency, digging his scalpel back into the corpse and cutting it wide open. Neat little cuts, like neat little soldiers, all lined up in a row and bleeding internally. The body was nothing special. Some homeless vagrant with no marks of violence. From the look of his skin, McMorning could state confidently that he had died from an acute case of liver poisoning brought on by the consumption of excessive alcohol, possibly moonshine smuggled in from the bayou. The rest of the autopsy was pointless, really. 
but somehow nobody took him seriously until there was a cut-up body he could point to as he told them what happened. It was strange how they barely paid attention when he did that in the morgue, but screamed and yelled when he did it in their offices. It was probably Sebastian's fault. He had a face that inspired screaming. He looked down at the Y-shaped incision and paused. There was something about the shape of the cut. He'd performed it thousands of times, noting nothing unusual about the shape other than how easily it facilitated the removal of the breastbone and ribs. Today, though, the shape seemed very much like a path, didn't it? One route going one way, the other route going another, and never the twain shall meet again. He wasn't sure how long he'd been staring down at the incision when a loud buzzing pulled him from his thoughts. Yes? What? The response was only more buzzing. He looked around in confusion, then leaned down and pressed his ear to the corpse's mouth. No. As he straightened up, his gaze fell on the speaking phone that had been recently mounted on the wall. What is it? The phone buzzed again. With a sigh at the inconvenience of it all, McMorning snapped up the phone. I said, what is it? There was a pause on the other end. We've got a delivery up here at the gates, Doctor. A big one, too. You'd better get up here. When McMorning arrived at the Enclave's gate, a dozen or so guardsmen were gathered around four large wagons, all of them loaded with corpses that were covered in stained tarps. A beleaguered-looking sergeant was speaking with the undertaker, a tall vulture-like man that bore an uncanny resemblance to Nicodem. "'What's going on?' McMorning asked. "'Oh, doctor,' the sergeant gave a salute. "'The undertaker here found, well, a massacre, sir.' Nicodem adopted the same disappointed, troubled look that he used to wear in his days before Malifaux. "'It's truly a tragedy. "'I suggested that we bury them there and then, "'but the sergeant thought it might be best to bring them in for a professional examination.' He glanced back at the corpses. "'It seems that foul play might be involved.' The sergeant barked out a laugh. Like this many folk just up and die for no good reason. McMorning eyed the undertaker suspiciously. Very well. Bring them in. The sergeant motioned to the other guardsmen. Okay, but fair warning, Doc, there's a lot of them. The guardsmen grumbled and moved behind the carts to push them up to the morgue's arrival entrance. McMorning stepped up to one, walking alongside it as he lifted the edge of the tarp and peeked beneath it. How many is a lot of them? Seventy-two by my count, the sergeant said. McMorning balked as he shot a shocked look at Nicodem. Seventy-two? What on earth were you thinking? The sergeant looked between the two of them in confusion. Nicodem resisted the urge to slap McMorning, though it was difficult. His knuckles were white around the top of his cane. I did not want to leave any behind, in case it was the one that held the clue to the murderer's identity glanced towards the sergeant. The sergeant was quite clear about the risks of leaving evidence behind. Sorry, Doc. The sergeant cast McMorning a sympathetic look. I guess you've got your work cut out for you. The guardsmen wheeled the wagons up to the receiving entrance and then began unloading the corpses one by one, stacking them in the corridor outside his office. When they had finished, the sergeant whistled in appreciation. You need any help getting those onto the slab? McMorning shook his head. No, thank you. I'll have my staff deal with this. Nicodem lingered nearby, carefully rearranging the corpses to preserve some measure of their dignity. The sergeant nodded and set off with the rest of the guardsmen. 
When they were out of sight, McMornan glanced around the corner, then turned on Nicodem and hissed in anger. Have you even heard of the word discretion? Come now, Doctor. Nicodem stood, allowing the corpse he'd been rearranging to slump over and roll out into the hallway. Unlike Seamus, I understand the benefits of anonymity. There was no danger. One of the corpses dressed in a torn wastrel's outfit opened his eyes, sat up, and grinned. Morning already. Seamus rolled his neck, causing the vertebrae to pop loudly. Can you make me some eggs like what Mum used to make? Shut up, shut up, shut up. McMorning pressed his fingers to his temples and tried to will the voices to be quiet. Seventy bodies? Are you too insane? We'd plan on a fifth of this. I already filled out the paperwork. I've been called as much before, Seamus said as he hopped to his feet. We need the numbers, Dougie. And how am I supposed to deal with 70 bodies on my docket? McMorning asked. He was pacing now. A few corpses going missing is one thing. But someone's going to notice 70 bodies. Even Sebastian wouldn't be able to misplace that many corpses. He gasped in horror as a sudden realisation flooded his mind. He's a man-sheep machine piloted by squirrels. How could he have not seen it sooner? The acorns were a dead giveaway. Seamus rolled his eyes. Keep your head on straight. The Spaniards, where are they? Nicodem was looking up toward the ceiling, his expression even more dour than usual. I feel something strange in the air. Have they begun the ritual? McMorning rubbed his temple, smearing it with congealed blood from the corpse he'd been dissecting. I don't know. I lost track of time. No time for pleasantries, then, Seamus said. Open at him, girls. The two necromancers worked their magic over the bodies, raising them up one and two at a time as McMorning drew on the wall with the grease pen, laying out the floor plans of the enclave for them. Here and there he marked down the secret doors that he was certain existed, despite his failure to find them. As he finished animating the last of the undead, Seamus cast a glance towards McMorning. You got your own party favours ready? McMorning nodded. I have a few ready and waiting. We just have to make a quick detour to my laboratory to fetch him. Seamus scowled. Oh, sure. We'll just leave this horrid menagerie waiting around in your office until we get back. Maybe dress him up as pretty nurses along the way. He placed his hat atop his head and patted it into place. Daft idiot. What do you have here? Well, McMorning eyed the door to his office. I have one or two Sebastians in the Chihuahua. Nicodem pinched the bridge of his nose between his fingers. Then you will have to lead the way, he said, his voice betraying his exasperation with his partners. McMorning ground his teeth. This way, he said. An empty library had been reserved for the ritual, and the Spaniards had wasted no time in preparing it. Justice stood nearby, her thumb working a groove into the handle of her sword as she watched them. The death marshals had taken up defensive positions both inside and outside the room, filling the corridors. It was enough men to stop an army, or so Justice hoped. The air had been tense upon arriving at the enclave, charged like before a storm. When they'd returned from the station, she'd sent messages to every death marshal she had, ordering them back to the enclave. Hopefully their presence would not be necessary. Hopefully she was just being paranoid and the ritual would go off without a hitch. Or perhaps they would come, 
The tension wasn't just her gut instinct. Her death marshals felt it too. They could all feel that something was off, and everyone was nervously fiddling with their swords or double-checking their pistols. In her heart, Justice knew there would be an attack. It didn't matter if it was a handful of necromancers hurling bodies at the gates or a massed army of stitched horrors spilling out from the Undercity. Something was going to happen, and she would be ready. She shook her head and turned her attention to the ritual. It was like nothing she'd ever seen before. In the center of the library stood a large cauldron, made from ancient pockmarked stone. The images carved into its sides had long since faded, but Justice could feel the aura of something old and powerful about it. Earth's old magic, untarnished, even by the world's dwindling power. She suspected that nothing else like the cauldron existed anywhere on Earth, or even Malifaux, and standing so close to it wasn't doing anything to settle her nerves. She wasn't sure what sort of favours Marlow had called in to gain access to the cauldron, but she was starting to wonder just what sort of person he'd been before being assigned to Malifaux. He knew an awful lot about her, she realised, but she knew very little about him. Federico led the necromancers as they performed a slow dance around the cauldron, speaking in hushed, rhythmic Spanish. Every few steps, one of them would deposit a single soul stone into the cauldron, causing the gem to peel away into flecks of what looked like glowing ash. Every time they dropped a soul stone into the cauldron, their dance picked up speed. A priceless, unique artifact in a king's fortune in soul stones, Justice mused. But if it works... Even as she wondered whether it would work, she felt the ritual begin to take effect. Her power, linked to the magic of death itself, was being drawn towards the cauldron's depths. It wasn't like losing herself. It was more like something else had latched onto her unnoticed, and now it was being pulled away like a tick or a leech. It hadn't yet abandoned its grip on her soul. A vague sense of relief flooded through her as she felt her strength lessen, and the feeling unnerved her. Her death marshals watched the ritual intently, and their shifting feet and nervous glances made it clear that they weren't sure if what they were feeling was right or not. Suddenly, screams and gunfire rang out from somewhere in the building. Justice's head snapped to the side, toward the door as she pushed thoughts of the cauldron out of her mind. Be ready. They've breached the gate. How? a marshal asked. It doesn't matter. We mustn't let them stop the ritual. Her voice filled with confidence, inspiring those around her. We hold her ground here. Don't let anything pass through those doors. The rest of the Enclave will have to defend itself. Our mission is the Spaniards and the Cauldron. The sounds of fighting and dying only increased. Her friends and co-workers were out there, fighting and dying to the threat she'd devoted her life to fighting. She wanted, needed to be out there fighting with them, but her duty held her back. Marlowe's words returned to haunt her. Were they dying because she'd failed to eliminate the Resurrectionists in a timely manner? Was their blood too on her hands? She looked back to the Spaniards. They had not paused in their ritual. She suspected that they could not stop it once it had begun, lest they risk its failure. She drew her sword and held it in front of her. With luck, the rest of the Enclave would rally and reinforce them. Unless they're all dead, she thought. How else could they have breached the gate? A guardsman collapsed, screaming as a pair of Seamus' bells fell on him with daggers, cutting and biting in equal measure. Don't render them useless, Nicodem scolded. We need their corpses. 
Seamus rolled his eyes. He's off, girls. He's one of the party now. The bells withdrew, and Nicodem raised the dead guardsman to his feet. Blank-eyed and still bleeding, the guardsman turned and joined the others attacking a barricade that had been hastily constructed by office workers. As they broke through the pile of filing cabinets, the hapless accountants and secretaries inside sent up a chorus of screams. Not... not that one... McMorning winced as one of the accountants was cut in half by a sword-wielding zombie. She organises the birthday parties. Get with the game, doggy, Seamus called. He opened fire with his flintlock as a guardsman came around a corner, catching the young man in the temple, and he fell without a word. With a whistle, Seamus tossed a battered dress to the ground in front of him and animated his corpse. The zombie climbed to his feet while pulling the dress over his head. Try to stay toward the back, Seamus murmured in a stage whisper to the zombie. I have a reputation to keep. Faster, you two, Nicodem called. More are coming. A hand grasped McMorning's leg. A wounded secretary had tucked himself under his desk, clutching an oozing gut wound. McMorning, help me, the man wheezed. His face was pale and pained. McMorning clenched his teeth. He reached down, patted the man's shoulder with one hand, and then reached in and pulled his guts out with the other. He pulled until there was nothing left in the man to pull, and his screams and flailing limbs had both stilled. McMorning looked up to find Nicodem watching him. That seemed excessive, the stately necromancer noted. Come, I can feel the ritual building. We do not have much time. Justice could hear the undead approaching the library. She couldn't get a full sense for their numbers, save that they filled the halls. The enclave had been caught completely off guard, and worse, she could sense that they weren't simply rushing her way. They were spreading out. They were diversions. Anyone who came to help them would have to fight through the horde just to reach the library. It was a nuanced strategy, and one that was uncommon among necromancers. Most of their number simply pushed their hordes forward, trusting to the weight of bodies to accomplish their goal. This attack, though, had a familiar sort of cunning to it. It was the same necromancer who had attacked the Enclave last year, the same one that had nearly killed her years ago at the ruined observatory. Do you feel it? the Death Marshal asked. Justice nodded slowly. Aye. There's someone powerful controlling these zombies. Ready yourselves. We fight to the last if we have to. No one disturbs the ritual until it is complete. Understood. The reply was echoed by the other Death Marshals in the room. She glanced behind her. The Spaniards continued their dance, which was beginning to pick up speed. Their muscles strained and their clothes were soaked with sweat, but they refused to stop. The urn was now three-quarters full of glowing soulstone ash, and the pull was stronger. She mentally urged them to hurry, knowing they could not. Gunshots rang from just outside the door. They're here, came a muffled voice. Suppress and fire, she shouted back. Hold them back as long as you can. She darted forward, opening and slipping through the doors. The corridor was filled with her death marshals. Some stood, others knelt. They formed a gun line that had opened fire on the undead shuffling down the corridor. Stumbling zombies in guild uniforms marched in the front ranks, taking the bulk of the gunfire even as they fell limp. Their falling bodies formed a kind of barricade, slowing the corpses coming behind them, but it also robbed the death marshals of clean shots. A confused voice drifted down the hallway. I think it's over here. 
Justice and her men aimed their guns down the opposite end of the corridor. They almost fired, but she held up her fist at the last moment. Hold your fire. Dr. McMorning wandered into the hall. He blinked in surprise as he stared down the barrels of two dozen death marshal peacebringers. Ah, uh, hello there. I was just... Doctor, Justice saw that he was bloody up to his elbow on one arm. Quickly, get over here. What? McMorning asked. His hands held up defensively in front of him. He only had two scalpels stashed in his gloves, but nevertheless he was pretty sure that he could take about half the death marshals down without trouble. The other half, though. I... I... I was just looking for someone. Short. Dark hair. No time. She lunged forward, grabbed his clean wrist, and dragged him back behind the gun line into the library. You'll be safe in here. Don't touch anything and don't disturb... them. She gestured to the dancing necromancers. Lord, really? McMorning asked. Just like that? He approached the cauldron and leaned forward to examine it, stopping just outside the Dormadore's ritual circle. Help us, please! The goggled feminine cries came from the hallway. I'll get her, a death marshal shouted as he broke formation. He rushed down the hall to where more injured women were appearing. Justice's head snapped up in horror. No, she shouted. It's Seamus. She was gone in an instant, leaving McMorning behind in the library with the rest of her waiting death marshals. The marshal heard her warning too late. He grabbed the fallen woman's arm to help her up, but she pulled him down with inhuman strength. With a grin that revealed the missing half of her face, the undead woman drew a letter opener and stabbed the surprised marshal in the face. Damn it! Justice darted forward, her sword cutting twice taking both arms and then the head from the woman's body. She grabbed onto her marshal and pulled him back toward the gun line. We need reinforcements, another marshal called, reloading his pistol as fast as he could. The mindless dead surging down the corridor were making slow but steady progress. For every body that fell, four more joined them. Guardsmen and office workers, their bodies still warm, joined the ranks of those who looked like they'd been dead for weeks. We won't be getting any. Justice said grimly. Commander, a voice called out from the library. She spun around as the marshals opened fire on the ceilings and walls. Nails shrieked as they were torn from wood, and pieces of destroyed ceiling fell from overhead. The undead had begun to tear through the walls and ceiling in an attempt to enter the library. Laughter echoed down the corridor, drawing Justice's attention back as a grinning madman in a top hat appeared. He was surrounded by dead women in cathouse dresses, shuffled around him in a protective wall of dead flesh. He thumped his hat up at Justice and whistled appreciatively. Hey there, love, he crooned. Ain't I a sight for sore eyes? She could hear the faint click-thump sound of a metal leg, and beyond the wall of zombies, a bald man dressed in finery appeared, his sour expression reminding her of a man who was impatiently waiting for an air car. He waved his hand at the wall of zombies imbuing them with unnatural vigour, and in that instant she realised that he was the true commander of the undead arrayed against them. He was the one she'd sensed earlier, the one that she'd been hunting for the better part of a year. Fall back, she commanded. The marshals moved in formation, firing at the oncoming wave even as they retreated into the library. They pressed their bodies against the door, a wall of living flesh to hold off the press of the dead outside. Justice joined the others in fending off the zombies clawing their way in through the walls. The horizontal planks had been pulled up all around them, but the vertical support beams were made of stronger stuff and were holding. 
The zombies were effectively pinned between all the heavy wood, and they were unable to dodge her blade or the weapons of her marshals. The dead zombies formed a barricade that kept the ones behind them at bay. As she worked, Justice spared another glance at the ritual. The cauldron was almost full now, and the Spaniards were a whirlwind of dancing and breathless chanting. McMorning stood near the ritual, seemingly in shock. His eyes were gaping at the sight of the glowing cauldron. She shook her head in sympathy. Even down in his morgue, he had probably never seen a walking corpse in his life. The sight had clearly pushed the eccentric doctor well into a state of shock. A knock came from the library doors. Little Dove, Little Dove, please don't spurn my love, the Irishman sang. He waited for a moment. No? Then I'll invite myself in. The doors exploded inward, and a towering monstrosity charged through, taking down every marshal in front of it. Justice had seen its kind before, a construct pieced together from the flesh and bone of multiple corpses. It looked fresh, as if it had been cobbled together just moments earlier. It hurled the death marshal aside like she was no heavier than a pillow, then crushed another under its wide foot. A flood of zombies poured into the breach it had made, and fell upon the scattered marshals. Justice waded into the horde to wade the fallen. The construct swung a skull-crushing blow her way, but she dove under it and slashed at the thing's knees, only to feel her blade connect with the steel plates that protected its joints. Undeterred, she reversed her slash and cut the knee open from the back. The construct teetered and fell without a sound, crashing down on its smaller kin. She put her blade through the monstrosity's brain and was rewarded with its final death. Suddenly, she felt a flintlock pistol press against her temple. The barrel was still warm from a recent shot. Seamus was close enough she could smell the whiskey on his breath and feel the twisted, laughing madness of his soul. Hello, my sweet, he whispered, as if to a lover. She snapped her head to the side as the gun went off, and the bullet tore a painful path along her forehead, cutting a deep groove in her skin. Hold still, the Irishman snapped, backhanding her hard enough to send her into a spin. Her reflexes kicked in, and she turned the fall into a roll and tumbled out of his reach. Go get her, he commanded. The whorehouse zombies rushed Justice with knives and grasping claws. She forced the pain away as she dodged, slashed, and slowly retreated. She fought her way back to McMorning, who had still not pried his eyes off the cauldron. He was babbling to himself, nonsense about camels and curses and three blessed kings of Britain. Stop them, the tall necromancer commanded from the doorway, safe behind his wall of zombies. Seamus reloaded his pistol and fired at the Domodoras, but a marshal dove in front of it, taking the bullet in her chest to protect the dancers. Seamus cursed and immediately started reloading his pistol. You don't have a hope, Missy. Justice didn't let it show, but she knew he was right. The dead were still pressing in from all sides, and her death marshals were falling faster than she could help them. It wasn't the end she imagined. Or rather, it was the sort of end she'd always imagined, killed in battle against pure evil. It's just that she'd always imagined, always hoped, that her death would be enough to achieve some kind of greater good. Eclosso la muerte puede morir, Federico called out. It is finished. She saw the last soulstone fall into the cauldron. It began to glow with an intense light, and a wall of energy pulsed from it, expanding outward like a shockwave in slow motion. When the energies touched the undead, they slowed to a stop and then fell, 
their animating energies severed. A few resisted, their limbs stiffening or going limp as the animating magic was partially drained out of them. No! Seamus cried out as one of his bells crumpled before him. Nicodem's undead fared somewhat better, but the two necromancers had little choice but to retreat from the expanding pulse of energy. As the energy washed over Justice, she felt her senses leave her, plunging her back into a world of true darkness. She staggered down to one knee, her head lowered as she tried to quell the panic in her heart. Now, Lady Justice cried, take them out. The remaining death marshals regrouped and moved through the remaining undead toward the necromancers, cutting down any that still stood against the cauldron's magic. The zombies seemed too weak or confused to put up any sort of resistance. Seamus shouted one last time to McMorning, Do something! McMorning couldn't hear Seamus. Couldn't hear anything. The world had slowed down to almost nothing. The pulses of energy felt wrong to him. He felt something bleeding out of him like it was being drawn into the urn. What is it to have a power like this, he wondered. For once his mind was silent, empty of answers. He looked around, confused. He saw Lady Justice kneeling on the ground next to him, and he could see her death marshals in the hallway, reaping the weakened undead. He saw the exhausted Domadores de Cadavares, their hands upon the rim of the cauldron, maintaining the magic that was slowly siphoning the grave spirit's power out of Malifaux and into their horrific phylactery. McMorning's mind hadn't been clear for years. Now, though, his mind was free of the distracting voices. In the silence, he imagined every necromancer from miles losing their power at some critical moment their only weapon against a cruel, indifferent universe snuffed out. He understood the choice, then. The fork in the incision. His pass was splitting, and they would never intersect again. He had to pick one or the other. On one hand, the clarity he now felt. He could go on to become a respected pathologist, perhaps the greatest the world had ever known. Even if he did nothing more than publish his discoveries on plastic surgery, he would be wealthy and respected for the rest of his career. On the other hand, where was the value in such a life? He knew that the voices made him more creative, more insightful. Why, he had nearly unlocked the secret to true immortality. Why should he abandon an eternity of genius and innovation for a few petty decades of happiness? Douglas McMorning stared at his hands. One clean, the other still stained with the blood of an innocent man. I can't be both. So, which would it be? He looked down at Lady Justice, who had turned her head up toward him. He smiled at her, his face stretching so tight it hurt. Somewhere in his mind he wanted to weep. I know, he said. Sadness creeping into his voice. It's the same dilemma for us both. Do we close our eyes to the truth and allow ourselves to be less than we are? 
or do we open our eyes and stare fully at the world in all of its horror and madness? Justice's brow furrowed in confusion. Douglas, what are you saying? What's happening? With a flick of his wrist, a scalpel appeared in McMorning's bloody hand. Let's choose sight, shall we? He turned and plunged his scalpel into the neck of the nearest Spaniard, an older man with a neatly cut goatee. The power of the cauldron flickered as he gurgled and fell to the floor. McMorning was a blur of motion as he cut the necromancers away from the cauldron, like a surgeon cutting his way into a beating heart. He sliced away muscle and tendon, open veins and organs. No! Lady Justice rushed in, blindly swinging her sword at McMorning's head and forcing him away from the surviving Spaniards. He leaned back and under the swing, his hand slashing at her jugular. She twisted her blade, relying on its superior reach to force him back. They danced through the ritual circle, a whirl of blades, the blinded Justice swinging wildly at McMorning as he darted away and waited for an opening. Justice was a fine swordswoman, one of the best the guild had to offer, and even blinded, McMorning shouldn't have been able to dodge her attacks. She had never imagined that he could move so quickly. He dodged a slash, then used the opening in her offense to dart back toward the cauldron and cut open the artery of another Spaniard. He pushed her over, sending her bleeding body crashing down at Justice's feet. From his coat he produced a vial of rancid green ichor, and broke it in the face of the remaining two necromancers, whose skin began peeling and blistering as the cloud of fast-acting poison did its work. The necromancers clung to the side of the cauldron in defiance, fueling its magic through sheer willpower and determination. She roared, Traitor! and charged him, knocking aside his scalpel, cutting him from stomach to shoulder. McMorning fell backward and rolled across the corpse-strewn ground, but before she could close the gap, he snatched up the scalpel from the ground and hurled it at her. The blade sank into her arm just below the elbow, severing the muscle and forcing her to drop her sword. Drawing up all his will, McMorning stumbled to his feet and staggered forward. Blood poured from his chest like a waterfall. He thrust his arm into the heart of the cauldron, into the countless charged soulstones contained within, and made a crushing gesture at the poisoned Spaniards. The power surged through his body, healing his wounds and amplifying the strength of his spell. The heads of the poisoned Spaniards burst in a spray of toxic green poison, splattering across the cauldron, Justice, and himself. The stone sizzled as Justice stumbled backwards. McMorning knew that he only had a moment left to act. He pulled his arm out of the glowing soulstone ash, gripped the side of the cauldron, and heaved with all of his might. When it struck the ground, it shattered like glass, spilling the ash out onto the floor and sending the magic of the ritual spiralling out of control. The energy of the ritual collapsed, plunging the room into comforting darkness. Justice and McMorning both grabbed their heads, the former as her enhanced senses came rushing back in a tidal wave of information, the latter as the voices flooding back in a choir of cacophonous screaming and chattering. Two hallways away, Seamus let out a chilling laugh as he felt an ancient presence surge past him, back out into the world. Yes! He did it! The undead pulled themselves to their feet and surged back into the fray, catching the surprised death marshals off guard. 
The zombies that had fallen to the cauldron's magic rose anew to pin the death marshals in on both sides. Justice turned her head upwards towards McMorning as she stumbled to her feet. You traitorous bastard. She was swaying almost drunkenly as she tried to regain her sense of balance. I'll rip you apart with my bare hands. The east wall of the library collapsed inward, and the rest of Nicodem's undead forced their way into the library. They ignored McMorning, passing around him like water. He took the opportunity to head for the exit they had made. Consider this my resignation, he called out behind him. I'll send Sebastian for my things. Nicodem and Seamus were waiting for him on the other side of the wall. Nicodem gave McMorning a respectful nod of gratitude. Knew you had it in you, doctor, Seamus said as he tipped his hat, and then he was gone. McMorning glanced back at the zombies swarming into the library. Think that will kill her? Nicodem snorted. Doubtful. He started retreating down the hallway, not even bothering to look back at Justice, who was at the heart of a growing circle of fallen zombies and rallying death marshals. She's annoyingly tenacious. it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malibu.